You've tuned into the Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to the Dr. Lowe Show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dr. Lowe's Show. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. Thanks for joining me. And gosh, I have been running around like crazy, getting ready for this baby coming. Um, I actually had a patient the other day said, I didn't even know you were pregnant. I heard it on your podcast. Well, it's true. I am pregnant. I am 34 weeks now, which if that's annoying and you don't want to have to do math, it's about eight and a half months. So I'm coming up to it. We have a healthy baby boy on the way, big boy. And, um, you know, I'm going to do some future episodes talking about what I have been doing to uh, have as healthy of a pregnancy as I can. And, you know, but really what I did prior to getting pregnant is the biggest part of it. So I, you know, I'll have patients come and see me. They're, they're trying to prime their body for pregnancy. And a lot of times they are actually actively trying and they try to get pregnant like right away And I always say, hey, if you can kind of press the brakes a little bit and do some of the prep work, it really ends up being so so much of a better situation because you end up improving your egg quality, your sperm quality, and, you know, it really increases your chances of a healthier pregnancy. And most importantly is the health of the mamas where afterwards you don't crash and burn where you actually, you know, it prevents postpartum and you end up feeling, you know, really good throughout the the postpartum um, stage. Now, of course, I uh, am about to be entering that myself. So I'll keep you in the loop about how that's been going for me. But I just see it a lot of times with my patients where they'll say, gosh, my first pregnancy was so hard. And with the second one, since I've been working with you, it's been so much easier. So I put all of the knowledge that I've gained and everything I did for myself into my online fertility course. So I would love if you guys have not checked out golden eggs, fertility that you head over there, golden And what it is, it's a six week fertility longevity course. So it's about, you know, it's for women who feel their clock ticking and maybe you don't want to get pregnant right now, but you want to know, am I fertile? Am I ovulating? What can I do now to, you know, really help to kind of extend the years that I will be able to get pregnant. Now, of course, a lot of this is up to the the, the man upstairs, right? Or woman upstairs. However, there are a lot of things that we can do to help improve the quality of our eggs, sperm as well for the guys. And, um, and that's what I put into this course. So please head over goldenexfertility.com. It's a six week course. It is, uh, you know, a deep dive into how your hormones work. What it is that, what is it that improves egg and sperm quality? Um, you know, clues, are you ovulating, how to kind of track your cycles. And also too, if you do decide, maybe you want to freeze your eggs, or maybe you are at the place where you you're, you've chosen to do IVF. I also include information about how to increase the chances of IVF being successful for you and how you can do kind of uh, supportive care through that process. And also if you want to do egg freezing, I talk about that as well. So it's really, there's nothing like it. And I would love to have you as a student. Before we jump into the topic for this show, I want to give some love to our show sponsor, Organifi. I know a lot of you guys love Organifi. I use them every single day in some way or another, whether I'm using their probiotic, which is called Biotic Balance, or their turmeric, or their green juice, or their red drink, or their their gold, Organifi Gold, which is their um, turmeric-infused 
uh, mushroom kind of superfood blend. Uh, it's everything that they make is so good and it, the quality is incredible. And what I love about them is they give a lot to charity as well. So they're just a good company. If I didn't have my own business and if I wasn't doing what I'm doing, I would completely work for Organifi. I, I see them on Instagram and the things they're doing behind the scenes just as a company. It just looks so like so much fun. So highly recommend if you are not drinking a green drink every, every single day that you incorporate this into your life. We know that improving the pH of our body helps to reduce the risk of certain diseases. So you want to be more in an alkaline state. And one of the very best ways you can do that is by consuming a lot more greens. It's hard to consume a lot of greens though, right? Like a lot of restaurants don't serve the amounts that we need. And a lot of us are busy. So just doing one green drink every day, it gives you so many servings of vegetables in one drink that it just gives you that insurance. So highly recommended if you're not using that, you can get yours over at Organifi.com forward slash Dr. Lowe. So D-R-L-O and Organifi is spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. So it's Organifi.com forward slash Dr. Lowe, D-R-L-O. And if you enter Dr. Lowe at checkout, D-R-L-O, you'll get 20% off your entire order. And that's everything on the website. You are welcome. All right, you guys, let's jump into the episode. I'm interviewing Lisa Hendrickson-Jack, and she actually is a speaker, um, a guest that I have on my Golden Eggs fertility course as well. And after we recorded that module, I was like, girl, I got to get you on the podcast. You're awesome. So I hope you really enjoyed this episode. We're talking all about kind of understanding your cycles a little more and things that you can do to help um, your body prepare for pregnancy. So enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. So I'm really looking forward to this particular show. It's, I think it's a topic that a lot of you are going to resonate with because a good majority of my listeners are female and we're talking all about our periods, yay, which is the fifth vital sign. And this is a newly released book. That's the title, The Fifth Vital Sign. This is by Lisa Hendrickson-Jack. She's my guest on the show. And we're, so, so her book is all about using your, your menstrual cycle as an actual vital sign to, to learn about your body, to be able to understand more about your health. And um, so we're going to be talking a lot about that, but especially how this relates to fertility and preparing your body for pregnancy. As you guys know, I just um, have launched an online course called Golden Eggs, which is a fertility longevity course. This is especially for women who feel their clock ticking don't necessarily want to get pregnant right now, but want to do whatever you can to help stack all conditions in your favor so that once you're ready, it's just so much easier to get pregnant, stay pregnant. And this also are, are, would be for women who are actively trying right now. This is also for couples since there's a good amount of content for men to understand how to improve their sperm quality. So this topic of preparing your body for pregnancy is something I'm very passionate about right now. And it relates to me because I'm seven, actually now going into eight months of pregnancy. You guys might hear me short of breath. <laughs> so I'll do my best <laughs> to keep it going. But um, this has been my world lately. So I love bringing on guests who really are experts in these different areas to, you know, share their, their expertise. So Lisa, I know you recently were a guest on Golden Eggs. We talked very specifically about how to track your cycles, how to understand if you're ovulating. Um, but it was such an amazing interview when you're like, Hey, let's do a podcast. I'm like, hell yeah, let's do a podcast. Cause we need to get this information out to more than just the golden eggs students. So let's jump into the interview. Tell me, tell our students or our, our listeners, I should say, um, tell our listeners a little bit about your, your story. Um, why are you into this 
you know, into periods and to <laughs> all these things that have to do with hormones and cycles and stuff. Why is this something you're passionate about? And then, um, yeah, and we can just dive into all these good little topics. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to, to be here. And I think my story is an interesting one because I discovered fertility awareness and I started charting my cycle when I was quite young. So I was basically about 18 or 19 years old at the time. And so I'm 36 now. So that's almost 20 years ago that I discovered this. And oh, so, cool. <laughs> um, well, yeah, like it's, it's, it's kind of unique because a lot of women um, are discovered bring this now at an older age. And one of the things I hear all the time is like, man, I wish I would have known this when I was a teenager. Yeah. And so in my case, you know, I was in university, I was attending all kinds, all things feminist, right? I was going through my post high school feminism phase. And um, there was an author who came to my campus and she was uh, reading an excerpt from her book. Uh, so the author was Inga Musio and she wrote this book called Kant, A Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, in that book, when she was reading her little excerpt, she mentioned that women aren't fertile all the time and you can actually identify your fertile window by paying attention to your cervical mucus and cervical position. And for me, that was this huge revelation because I had grown up with the idea that we are fertile every single day. I remember being terrified. I was convinced that if I ever had sex ever with another human being, I would immediately <laughs> be pregnant that day um, for sure. And so I was really scared when I was ready to start having sex. I remember thinking to myself, because I, I had been put on the pill at a young age for painful periods, and I remember thinking to myself, well, my goodness, I could be on the pill. And what if I got pregnant and I didn't know I was pregnant? Because, you know, sometimes I might take the pill continuously and like miss a period or something like that, a pill period. And uh, so I remember thinking like, oh, no, I couldn't even trust the pill. I would have to always use condoms. And so when I discovered the fertility awareness method and I discovered that there was only a short window of time that you can get pregnant and you can identify what it was and that it was a science-backed method. And outside of that small window of fertility, you couldn't actually get pregnant. It was like a huge relief. And so it was like love at first sight, basically. Um, I ran to the bookstore, grabbed a copy of Taking Charge of Your Fertility. I, um, on my university campus, there was a group of women who were teaching fertility awareness and I started attending the monthly meetings. Before long, I was teaching and I took a training program and began teaching women to chart their cycles. So that's how I got into this because um, once you learn about the menstrual cycle and you learn how to identify your fertile window, you realize that it's not rocket science. And so the first response is like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But it's quickly followed by like, well, wait a minute, why isn't every woman taught this? Why don't we all know this stuff? And so that's where my kind of drive and passion comes from, just sh sharing this information with as many women as possible. Yeah. So how often do you think this is talked about, like, let's say a couple goes into their doctor and they want to start trying and they don't really know anything about, am I ovulating or, you know, cervical mucus or cervical position or, you know, charting your temperature, like the, the typical primary care doctor, how much do they really know? And then what about like endocrinologists? Is this something that's talked about at all? Well, it's such an interesting question. I mean, I, I've had that question, that curiosity, and I've interviewed a number of doctors. Every time I get my hands on a doctor, I'm just like, okay, tell me what they taught you in med school. I need yeah. to understand why um, traditionally doctors are recommending hormonal birth control for everything menstrual, why women aren't being advised, you know, so one of the common experiences, and I'm sure you've heard this a lot, um, you know, with to the doctor and the doctor will say, well, just try having sex from day this to day that of your cycle. 
Um, So, you know, in medical school, from my understanding, they're not taught about fertility awareness, you know, at all as a method of birth control, really. Um, If they are, it's a mention of it beside the rhythm method and it's ineffective and it, right, that they're kind of taught that it's not a real method of of birth control. But in terms of that detailed understanding of the female cycle and how there's a specific window of fertility and how you can gauge it, um, my understanding is what most physicians are taught is that the menstrual cycle is 28 days long. Ovulation happens on day 14. And that's basically the extent of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was, you know, you and I talked a bit about this when we did the golden eggs interview, but um, that wasn't the case for myself when I got pregnant. <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, I think I ovulated late, like around day 19 and you've been finding for yourself cause you've been tracking for a gazillion years, like 20 years, your own <laughs> menstrual cycle that you ovulate a little bit later than that too. Right. Well, yeah. And so I think the first thing that is really helpful and important for women who are in that mind frame of trying to conceive or planning ahead for a pregnancy and just really wanting to understand how to time sex accurately is that, you know, the, it's a myth that the menstrual cycle is always 28 days and that ovulation always happens on 14, uh, on day 14. I think that's the first thing that's helpful. So in a healthy menstrual cycle, we would expect it to the whole cycle from the first day of your period to the last day before your next one. Um, a healthy cycle can range anywhere from 24 to about 35 days. And so with a range like that, then it would make sense that ovulation could happen at different times. So in a longer cycle, ovulation is happening a little bit later, and that's what makes the cycle long. And so ovulation then in a healthy cycle would fluctuate anywhere from day 10 today 23 or so and so just having that information is helpful because then all of a sudden you realize that as a woman who's trying to conceive if you're basing when you have sex on a specific day of the cycle then you could inadvertently be using fertility awareness as birth control right Right. (laughs) um and so I think that it, it, that's helpful to know that it does range and it can fluctuate. So it can fluctuate for a number of different reasons. I think stress is one of the most common reasons. And so for any woman who is tracking her cycle over a period of time, she may notice that if she ever travels for work or if she has a stressful event that happens you know, in her life or she makes a really drastic change to her diet or she has an illness or something like that, that if it happens before ovulation, she might she's more likely to have a delay in ovulation. And so if you're timing sex based on a specific day, even if your cycles are typically regular and you typically do ovulate around a certain time, it's always possible for you to have kind of like a random cycle where it happens a little bit earlier or later. Yeah. And so um, to kind of figure out like, well, then, you know, if it can happen at any time, then how am I going to figure out when are the best days? And that's when it gets into understanding what your main fertile signs are. So when you're, it comes to tracking your cycle with fertility awareness, we're really looking at your cervical mucus as the primary sign of fertility because it's cervical mucus that can keep your sperm alive for up to five days. And we would also be looking at your cervical position because that changes as you approach ovulation. Um, Your cervix becomes softer and it raises, it it becomes higher inside of your vagina. And then also basal body temperature. Um, The temperature doesn't help you predict ovulation, but after ovulation, if you take your temperature every day, you'll notice a sustained increase. So if you take your temperature every morning before you get out of bed, you'll notice that after ovulation, it actually rises and stays high. And if you plot it on a graph, it's really neat because you can actually see this biological change in your body related to ovulation. Right. So 
Fertility awareness method. I feel like I might've uh, skipped over this a little bit. How do you actually define what that is? Is it using those three methods or what exactly is it? And like, why, why is it something that, you know, every woman should know about? Well, I mean, the term, we could think of the term fertility awareness as kind of like an umbrella term. And so in the general sense, fertility awareness is having an understanding of what's happening in your menstrual cycle. So, you know, if I take a trip through the menstrual cycle, you start with the first day of your period. So you have your period typically like three to seven days after your period stops. Um, You typically have a few days before you start to actually observe cervical mucus. And so cervical mucus, um, it can look like creamy white hand lotion, and it can also look like clear, stretchy, raw egg whites. And uh, so, you know, typically there's a couple of days before you start to notice that. And then once you get into your fertile window, you might notice the creamy white hand lotion or you might notice the, the you know, the, the clear, stretchy egg whites. And that happens as you approach ovulation. So then you ovulate, the mucus would dry up, we would expect it to in a healthy cycle. And then you would get your period about 12 to 14 days later. So having a general understanding of your cycle events and knowing that those those changes are happening, that would be the general way to think of fertility awareness. But for under that umbrella term are lots of different fertility awareness-based methods. So, you know, for myself, I'm a fertility awareness educator. You know, I teach the Justice method. That's a particular method of fertility awareness. There's lots of different ones. Some methods involve just checking for cervical mucus only. And, um, you know, the, the type of, like, the fertility awareness method that I teach, it's, it's called symptothermal. So, Justice is a kind of a type of the symptothermal. And all that means is that we're looking at the symptoms. So we're looking at the cervical mucus and the cervical position, and we're also adding the temperature. Mm-hmm. So I think it's helpful to know that, you know, technically there's no one fertility awareness method that covers everything. There's different ways to do this. So some look at mucus only, some look at mucus, you know, temperature and um, cervical position, some look at temperature only, and some use fertility monitoring devices to test your estrogen levels to tell you when you're approaching ovulation. Mm-hmm. And some are devices as birth control where they're, you know, having, you're taking your temperature every morning and it's telling you when your fertile window is. So there's lots of different ways to do this. Mm-hmm. And in your opinion and what you've seen with clients is that the most important of all those little clues would be the cervical mucus, right? As the most telling for I'm fertile right now. That's right. And the reason for that is because um, of what I mentioned, it's because of the role of cervical mucus. So um, I think that in order to understand why you're only fertile for a short window of time each cycle, it's helpful to understand what happens outside of that time. Mm -hmm. And so when you're not in your fertile window, when you're not approaching ovulation, when you're not making cervical mucus, your vagina is very acidic and your cervix is actually closed and with your cervix is closed and it's actually plugged with a thick mucus plug that prevents the sperm from being able to enter your uterus so if you were to I always use these silly analogies but if you were to think of it as a nightclub outside of your fertile window the nightclub is closed and the sperm are not permitted to access and it's a very smart decision on mother nature's part because our uterus that's an internal organ and so by having it closed when we don't it shouldn't, like, if, if you're not ovulating and not, not approaching ovulation, there's no reason for the sperm to be in there. Right. <laughs> um, so it makes perfect sense, but it protects us from, you know, we don't need to have that exposure for potential infections and viruses and things like that. Um, so if you recognize that outside of that fertile window, you can't get pregnant 
because there's no egg, you're not approaching ovulation, and your cervix is closed and your vagina is acidic, and so your, your body is actively killing sperm. If you have sex outside of the fertile window, the sperm just die. There's a battle um, in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't have a chance. Sperm are pretty fragile. They need to have a certain pH. Um, so when you're in your fertile window, uh, the reason that cervical mucus would be the primary sign to pay attention to is because it's only when we make that mucus. So our cervix is producing it. It's washing down the walls of our vagina. It changes the pH inside of the vagina. And the pH of our cervical fluid, it's, it matches quite closely to the pH of a man's seminal fluid. So it's kind of like our complementary <laughs> fluid. So cool. um, it's like, like a home away from home, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> This is your new home, yeah. It's your little and so it's, it's welcome. Exactly, exactly. And um, and so if you think about it that way, then this is the only time when you have cervical mucus that the sperm can survive, and the mucus then keeps it alive for up to five days. And really, um, the purpose of it is to extend the window of fertility. So one of the things to note about the menstrual cycle is that ovulation only happens on one day. And it happens as a result of all of these hormonal shifts that happen. So as you approach ovulation, your ovaries are developing your follicles. So the eggs are developing. And as the follicles develop and grow, um, you know, one of the follicles, the one that ends up ovulating is chosen by Mother Nature, the dominant follicle. It's producing increasing levels of estrogen. And so um, it's all, it's, it's like a symphony, really, like your estrogen is rising, and that is triggering your mucus production. And then eventually your estrogen reaches a certain point, and that triggers uh, your pituitary gland to then release luteinizing hormone, which causes ovulation. So basically, we have these hormonal things happening specifically that are causing um, that are causing ovulation. And so when you ovulate, that egg only lasts for 12 to 24 hours. And then if it's not fertilized, it is gone. So it would be really hard to get pregnant if there was only one day that this was all possible. Mm -hmm. uh, because then you would have to somehow time this in that 12 to 24 hour period. And so what cervical mucus does is it, it extends that 12 to 24 hour period to up to five days by keeping the sperm alive. So ideally, um, and I think I gave this example in the golden eggs um, conversation, but one of the, I, I like to give examples because then it, it makes it a little bit more tangible. So let's say that, you know, uh, let's just, I'll use myself as an example. So let's say that um, I start to make cervical mucus on Monday and let's say that I ovulate on Friday. Mm -hmm. So I think what's really helpful to understand when you're trying to conceive is that if I have cervical mucus on Monday, then it's what you said about like helping to figure out when you're fertile today based versus trying to figure out what day of your cycle. So if I'm making cervical mucus on Monday and I see it and then I have sex on Monday, unprotected sex, you know, with my partner, then, um, and I don't have sex for the rest of the week. I ovulate on Friday. Well, when I ovulate, the sperm is still there <laughs> because it could survive right. up to five days. So I can then get pregnant because of the sex that I had on Monday. Mm -hmm. And so when you understand the role of cervical mucus, it actually shifts how you understand this whole concept of timing for pregnancy. Because a lot of women are trying to time it on ovulation day because we've kind of been taught that that's it. That's what we need to do. We have to have sex on ovulation day. So right. it doesn't hurt to have sex on ovulation day, but it's actually more important to have sex when you have cervical mucus present. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Now, when, when a fertility awareness method is used as a form of birth control where you, you don't want to get pregnant, how many days of a cycle are a couple 
typically abstaining from intercourse? That's a great question because it depends. Because um, in a healthy cycle, a woman can expect to produce anywhere from two to seven days of cervical mucus. Mm -hmm. And so in order for the method to be effective, we have to add a buffer period around that. So at the, you know, at the top of that example, where she has seven days of cervical mucus, she has to assume that she's fertile on all of her days of mucus. Mm -hmm. And then she would have to put a buffer period at the end of that. So that adds three more days. Right. Um, She would also be checking her temperature and the temperature rise would match up with her cervical mucus drying up Mm -hmm. uh, because it's all based on the hormones. And so in that example, she would have about 10 days. Mm -hmm. Some women make mucus for fewer days. Some, you know, some women have mucus for uh, more days. And, you know, I've worked with women who have some degree of, um, say, lotion-y tight mucus almost every day. But in those situations, there's usually something else going on. Like that can be an indication of something that we have to look at so that we can kind of address it and eventually get her back to like a normal two to seven day window. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that's a drawback for some women because to, to know that there's all of these days that you, you know, you can't have unprotected sex on. Right. Uh, for a lot of women, it's like, oh my goodness, that's just too much. But for many women, it's, they look at it in the other way. I know for myself, I, real, I realized, I was like, wow, you know, here I am taking a pill every single day, <laughs> um, but I'm only fertile for about a week. <laughs> right, right. And so I could just figure out how to manage that week. And then, you know, outside of that, I'm okay. Yeah, totally. So it's basically like five to 10 days, kind of depending on how long you have that cervical mucus that determines that fertile window. That's right. right. Yeah. Okay. And we always add that extra buffer, which adds more time because we want to make sure the method is effective. Right. Exactly. So reasons that it would be great for women to know about fertility awareness method is, is knowing when they're ovulating. So that can be helpful for if you want to get pregnant or if you want to purposely avoid getting pregnant. And then also it sounds like, um, you know, just getting to understand kind of the, the ecosystem down there, like when you're having that cervical mucus, but also understanding you know, the type of, I don't like this word, but discharge, but the type of word <laughs> or the type of discharge that you have throughout your whole cycle, because it tells you different information about where you're at, you know, what your hormones could look like, right? So that's another benefit. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And you say the word discharge, and that's like one of my, it's like a frenemy, right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, because I mean, at the end of the day, when you're going to, if you, if you have a concern about anything that you're seeing, any, any, discharge that you're having that's the that's the key word that's the word to use when you're with your doctor it's like the code word um but one of the reasons why it's really helpful for women to learn about fertility awareness and to learn about what's normal in terms of what cervical mucus looks like most of us aren't really taught about cervical mucus we're taught about our periods but we're not taught about mucus so many women have found themselves in the doctor's office thinking that they had some sort of bacterial infection or thinking that there was something wrong with them when really it's just their regular monthly cervical mucus as they're approaching ovulation And on the flip side, if you chart your cycles and you have a sense of what your typical mucus production looks like, if you see a shift or if you notice something that's different or concerning, that can be one of the first signs that there's something wrong. And it can be as simple as identifying a yeast infection to as complex as identifying abnormal cervical cells. Yeah, right. Ovulation timing, is that, does it vary frequently for women where they ovulate on different days? each cycle or they, do they tend to ovulate around the same days? Well, that's a good question as well. I, you know, from what I've seen, no, I really have never seen a woman's chart who ovulates on the same day, every single day for like a year straight. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it's, it's helpful to know that some degree of fluctuation is normal. And yeah. so for, even for women who identify, so, you know, there's a lot of women who'll say like my cycles, like clockwork, it's always X number of days. When you actually start charting your cycles <laughs> and you start writing it down, you'll notice that even if they're regular, so let's say your cycles are usually between 27 and 29 days. Even when that's the case, if you actually track your cycles for a year, you'll see that sometimes it's 29 days, sometimes it's 30 days, sometimes it might be 31. Yeah. And um, ovulation can fluctuate a bit as well. But what's helpful is that when you recognize that cervical mucus is the primary sign, then it doesn't really matter if the ovulation happens on day 13 or day 16, because what matters is that you're timing sex based on your cervical mucus production. So optimal, um, the optimal days, the best days when you're trying to conceive are the days that you observe mucus that is clear and or stretchy. So it looks like you could pull it between your fingers and it has that consistency of raw egg whites and it kind of pulls a thread between your fingers. So some mm -hmm. women will notice this when they're white, with, when they go to the bathroom, they might notice it in their underwear or they might wipe themselves and kind of notice it on the toilet paper. But not all women produce a lot of, like not, not all women produce so much of it that they can actually stretch it between their fingers. So for some women, they're going to notice that on some days of their cycle, when they're going to the bathroom and when they're wiping themselves, it's really slippery. So for some women, it's like, I always joke this, like the hand, your hand hits the back of the toilet, just like, Phew. Mm -hmm. um, and for uh, other women, they might identify that it's like they're wiping, but they have to wipe a couple times because it feels like there's like, it's slippery and it feels like there's a lot down there. Yeah. Yeah. And so you. those signs are equally fertile. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so that, if you watch for that, when you're timing sex and give up the idea of like, don't try to have sex on day 14, just kind of throw all those ideas out, really focus on what you see on a day-to-day -day basis. That's the best way to, to, to really get the timing right. Mm -hmm. When you have clients who want to work with you and let's say they first come to see you because they want to prepare their body for pregnancy, what, what do you typically talk to them about? I assume you, you go into the fertile window and when to time things. Are there other things you, you tend to talk with them about to prepare their bodies? Um, yes, there's a lot of things. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> the first thing, of course, we want to get the timing right. So we do want to get, um, typically, we'll chart a full cycle together so that I can get a sense of what, although I'm not, I don't recommend to try to predict when ovulation is going to happen because ultimately you can't, but I like to get a sense of what your patterns are. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you look at a woman's menstrual cycle, you know, she'll typically have her period and then she might have some days before she has mucus and then she might have mucus for a couple of days. So some women, um, depending, one of the interesting things about cervical mucus production is that it, gra it naturally gradually decreases over time. Mm -hmm. So a woman who is 20 is typically going to have more days of that clear peak, um, like clear stretchy type of mucus versus a woman who's in her mid forties. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's really helpful information to know if, if my client has five days of mucus or seven days of mucus versus if she has two. Yeah. Because that's going to change the strategy, right? Okay. Um, that's going to change how we're going to go about things. So I think the first thing that I that I do in terms of the fertility awareness aspect of it is try to get a baseline. I always think of the first chart that we chart together as a baseline. We're going to get lots of information about your mucus and you know how many days of mucus that you typically have, what it looks like, and that really can help timing and all of those types of things. And of course, 
one of, I mean, the, the title of the book is The Fifth Vital Sign. So when you think of the menstrual cycle as a sign of health, and if, if you think of it as more than just your period, and you actually think of each of the aspects that I mentioned as its own little parameters. So we look at the period, we look at the, you know, the days of mucus, the quality of mucus, when ovulation is happening in the cycle, how long the luteal phase is, like, you know, are you having spotting throughout your cycle, etc. So part of the, the planning for pregnancy aspect is, is really looking in depth at the menstrual cycle to see if it does fall within the normal parameters. And if not, then it would give us some clues as to what we should be looking at. Um, one of the trends that I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed this as well, is that a lot of women who are struggling to conceive have issues with their thyroid. And when you have issues with your thyroid, it shows up in different ways on your menstrual cycle chart. So one of the most obvious ways that thyroid issues will show up on the menstrual cycle chart are low temperatures and other cycle disruptions, such as abnormal bleeding or, uh, you know, spotting before the period starts or a short luteal phase or um, a complete lack of cervical mucus production. That There could be more than one reason for that. But um, just in general, there's different things that you can pick up on just by looking at the chart. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that's a part of it. You know, if, if the menstrual cycle is falling outside of the parameters, really looking at that and trying to kind of, um, you know, with my clients, we're always working, I'm part of their healthcare team. So they're working with their naturopaths, working with the doctors, if they need an endocrinologist, they're kind of working with, um, you know, any of the, the, the healthcare practitioners that are supporting them, but really to look at the menstrual cycle being a really important part of that to kind of help us to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the more general things, I mean, it's a lot of the basic tenets of supporting hormonal health. So, for example, um, I check in with my clients to see how they're sleeping. With the menstrual cycle, if you're, if you're not getting good quality sleep, if you're not sleeping in the dark, that can have a significant impact on your um, cortisol and progesterone levels, <laughs> your melatonin levels. Um, there's a certain percentage of women for whom they might have uh, like a short luteal phase. So, you know, between the, the, the day of ovulation to when they have their next period. So in a healthy cycle, we want it to be about two weeks. So we want it to be about 12 to 14 days. Um, for some women, if it's shorter than that, if it's like 10 days or nine days, or if they're having many days of premenstrual spotting, um, literally just by improving the sleep quality, making sure they're sleeping in the dark so that they're not disrupting their hormone levels at night, um, something just that simple for, for many women can really improve that aspect of their cycles. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, and looking at, so looking at some of those basic things, looking at their xenoestrogen exposure, looking at um, the diet, just looking at, are you, you know, processed food consumption and, um, and also if you're, what are the sources that you might be exposing yourself to different hormones that could be disrupting your menstrual cycle. So um, those are kind of a lot of the basic things that, that we look at, but then, mm-hmm. Um, as women, as, as we are conceiving later and later in life, um, of course, one of the important things that we want to make sure is to prepare our bodies. Um, as you know, one of the things that is missing in our culture is, um, is just that knowledge and mindset around actually taking a specific period of time to prepare our bodies for pregnancy, a specific preconception period. And so um, focusing on very specific nutrient dense foods during that time, understanding what nutrients are required for healthy menstrual cycles, healthy fertility and optimal fetal development is really important during that time as well. And it's not just important for the woman. I think for a lot of my clients, what surprises them is that I'm equally, I'm equally encouraging 
uh, them to focus on these things as well as their partners. Um, yes. Yeah. So, so what would you say would be the most um, vital of like the bad habits that you typically would say, Hey, these you probably want to cut out. And I know that a lot of your clients are working with a naturopath too, but what are some of the, you know, the bad habits that you feel like are the most important, you know, that are getting in the way of fertility for the clients you see? Well, that's a good question as well. Um, so I typically, I'll, I'm always hesitant to make blanket statements because I, in my case, I'm always using the menstrual cycle as a guide. And so when I'm working with someone who you can see that their menstrual cycle is having specific issues, mm -hmm. um, I would be very inclined to uh, look at coffee consumption, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, alcohol consumption. And it's interesting. I'm sure you've had these like really, uh, no one wants you to take away their coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm always like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, but one of the benefits of having the menstrual cycle as a central part of it, the, the menstrual cycle is almost like my client, right? Like it's almost like there's three of us in the room. There's you, <laughs> there's me, and then there's your menstrual cycle. And so one of the great things about it is that, so I've worked with a number of clients who do have concerns about, you know, often their progesterone levels or there's certain things that we're seeing and only to find that they're drinking one to two cups of coffee every day. And so it comes as a great surprise to a lot of women that, you know, there's research that shows that um, coffee consumption is directly associated with reduced fertility. So women who drink, um, you know, two to three cups of coffee a day, there's one study that I looked at um, in the book specifically where women who were drinking um, about three or so cups of coffee a day were significantly less likely to conceive in any given cycle. Mm -hmm. And um, for a lot of my clients, I mean, the menstrual cycle, when you're charting, it's really great because you can actually do be your own experiment. You can be your own N of one. If you are charting your cycle and then you cut out something like coffee or you cut out something like alcohol um, and then you continue charting, you can see within a cycle um, whether or not it's making a difference. Right. So some women will cut this out and then they'll notice an improvement. Well, also in their own, like an improvement in their energy or all that kind of stuff, but they'll notice uh, potentially an improvement in their luteal phase or an improvement in their mucus production. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they'll ovulate, you know, sooner in their cycle um, if they were concerned that they were ovulating too late. So um, one of the other things that I've noticed, uh, it just depends on the client. Some women struggle with a lot of gut issues that maybe they're not always are aware that could be related to their fertility. But when you're charting your cycle, um, one of the trends that I've seen is when I'm working with a client who has some sort of gut issue, whether it's like an IBS or if she has some sort of gut infection like SIBO or something like that she'll often show patterns of continuous mucus and or abnormal bleeding throughout her cycle. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, you know, when you're allergic to something and your nose is running the whole time. So it's almost like your cervix is running <laughs> in some cases. Yeah. For, for lack of a better way of describing it. Right. But it's, it's, it's interesting and very tangible when you can actually see it on the chart and you can actually see that instead of having your normal two to seven days of mucus, you're basically having it all the time. Yes. And, and then we go and identify what it is. And it's very interesting, right? Cause it's often like, well, so, you know, are there any foods that you eat that you typically feel really bad afterwards? Or um, this is before we get in, you know, they're, they're getting into testing with their practitioners, but often women know what, is the food that is bothering them yeah. and then if they take it out uh what i always say is if you identify the thing if you figure out what that what is actually causing the problem and you take it out um many of my clients have gone from having that kind of pattern of mucus every single day and all of these you know even irregular bleeding and things like that to identifying 
the food that is causing their sensitivity and um, they'll notice a dramatic Im- improvement in their cervical mucus production. Mm-hmm. I um, love this. I find this all the time with patients when, you know, even just extending it into just general vaginal problems. When there's a problem going on in the vaginal area, there's, there's, I find there's always been a problem in the gut too. Like it's, that's where it's coming from, right? So it's looking at things that are causing irritations there. Do you have leaky gut? Do you have an imbalance in the flora? Um, Cause that certainly translates into issues in the vaginal area. Mm-hmm. Well, and to be clear, this is different from a yeast infection or something like that. This is literally like your actual cervical mucus production is being affected by uh, your body's reaction, your basically your re- immune reaction to mm-hmm. food that you're sensitive to, and so um, and it's not in isolation. Typically, in a cycle like that, we're also seeing other challenges, because mm-hmm. um, you know if you're consuming foods that you're sensitive to, it's increasing it, the inflammatory response, and that can have an effect on your cycle uh, because of the interesting relationship between cortisol and progesterone. So because our body makes progesterone or makes cortisol from progesterone, if you have uh, factors that are causing you to to be more stressed or factors that are increasing your cortisol production, whether it's sleep, whether it's certain foods, um, coffee, um, foods that you're allergic to, you can see that in your menstrual cycle because it actually will change in in some cases for some women, it'll change the length of their luteal phase. Mm -hmm. Um, Sugar consumption can do that as well. So uh, it's it's interesting because you can tell that when you ask that question of like, what would be the specific thing, you can tell that it's different for each woman because each woman has different challenges. There's definitely general things, but what I find is that um, when you kind of are able to sit down with somebody and actually look at what's specifically happening in their lives, you start to realize that for some women, it's going to be, it's going to be gluten and dairy, but for another woman, it's going to be coffee. And for another woman, well, just has to quit smoking and for, for, right. for another so it's um it's very interesting uh, to see how how much of the differences are individual sometimes mm-hmm. what about for the guys for for healthy sperm i know that this has been something you've been talking a lot more about lately so you know things and this is this is something i talk about a ton in, in golden eggs and the golden swimmers portion but what are what are like maybe the top two or three factors that you find are that are affecting sperm health well that's a big topic um and I'll, I'll certainly give my top two. I think before I say that, I would say that a lot of women think that it's an individual thing. Is, it, is my partner affected or not? Um, but there's like a global trend of decreased sperm quality, whereas yeah. you're, so the average man in the 1940s was, you know, had about 113 million sperm per milliliter concentration. And the average man today has closer to about 50 million. So we're looking at, yeah, it's crazy. It's like, and, a, and where's the cutoff where it's considered good? Well, it depends on which, you know, what you're looking at in terms of, so the World Health Organization has, there was a 2010 report where they um, put out that 15 million, one five sperm per milliliter, uh, 15, yeah, 15 million sperm per milliliter concentration, and 4% morphology, and I can't remember the motility number off the top of my head, but that was what they were looking at as being you know, if you're above that, you're fine. (laughs) But what the research shows us is that it's closer to uh, 40 to 50, uh, 40 to 50 million sperm per milliliter concentration, and um, closer to 12 to 14% morphology is optimal. And so the, the one particular study that I was looking at, 
they basically, you know, every couple has, an average healthy couple has about a 25% chance of conceiving every cycle. And so when they were looking at the sperm parameters, they found that up until that point, you know, that at that point, it didn't get any higher. So anything lower than that, and your chances of getting pregnant in any cycle is lower. Mm-hmm. So it's like this interesting idea that it's almost like you're, you're totally fine until you're infertile right? <laughs> and there's nothing in between, but that's complete. Like it, it obviously doesn't make sense. Yeah. And what I often tell my clients is that there's a minimum number that they need to, to be able to do IUI to be able to do intrauterine insemination or in, a, in order to do IVF. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot lower than what would be optimal for natural conception. Right. Right. Yeah, it's such a difference in a philosophy. And it's, you know, it's just the exact same concept when I'm going over labs with my patients. I have two columns I'm, I'm going over. There's the lab range, which is the average American person, which those ranges, it's either like bad or good. One or yes. the other, right? And it's like, okay, we, that so can't be the case. And then there's the functional, which is the optimal range. These numbers come from research studies of studying healthy people. And that's that's that you know, the optimal, like we want it to be great, not just not sick, you know? And it's like, so same thing with the fertility. It's like, how can we inch this towards optimal? Um, and, and just, I mean, gosh, how, how is this possible? So, so it went from over a hundred to, and you know, below 20 as being kind of the cutoff. Um, what can guys do? You know, what are things that we've seen in the research that actually make a difference? Well, I think the good news is that there is a lot you can do. And I've seen it firsthand where you institute dietary changes, lifestyle changes, incorporate specific supplements. And you can, the good, you know, the good thing about this, the sperm parameter thing is you can actually just test and then do the things and then retest. And you can see very simply. (laughs) And it doesn't Uh, take super long, right? Even like just a good three months (laughs) can make a massive difference. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I mean, some of the most, like, again, some of the most basic important things um, to look at would be, so the studies, the research shows us that alcohol consumption does nothing good for sperm. So alcohol consumption, um, smoking, cigarettes, and or marijuana Mm -hmm. uh, has been shown to decrease sperm count and quality and um, exposure to xenoestrogens. Uh, so some of those very basic things uh, that men can do uh, if your partner is regularly, like if um, a lot of us have that sense of like, well, you shouldn't be going in a hot tub and things like that, but that's, that's a real thing. So the research shows that an increase of the um, temperature of the testicles by even as little as one degree can reduce sperm count and quality. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason that the testicles hang outside of the body. Right. They're supposed to be cooler. Uh, so those are some of the, like, just the very basic things. And I think it's also really helpful to know that there's a lot of uh, nutritional uh, supplements, uh, a lot of specific nutrients that have been studied that have been shown to increase sperm parameters quite significantly. And so I think that it's important to incorporate it. And what's interesting as well is that it's, it's very parallel. So the same nutrients that improve sperm quality and count and motility are the same nutrients that improve egg quality and are the same nutrients that are required for optimal fetal development. And so for example, coenzyme Q10, you know, a lot of people are aware of that. A lot of women who are trying to conceive are aware of the, the connection between coenzyme Q10 and, um, an egg quality. And so there's a lot of research that has shown that, that uh, when men are given um, that, you know, that supplement over a period of time, that it dramatically can increase the 
quality count um, and motility and morphology. And uh, so, you know, just a few to name, you know, coenzyme Q10, vitamin A is really essential, um, folate and zinc and selenium, vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin D, vitamin C, omega-3 fatty acids are really important. And so, you know, one of the tenets that kind of guides my approach to fertility and health, menstrual cycle health, hormone health is having an ancestral perspective. Because one of the things I always used to, to wonder is what did people do before Whole Foods? Like what, <laughs> what did our ancestors do before you could just go to the store and buy coenzyme Q10? And so it turns out that a lot of these key nutrients that we need for, you know, optimal sperm health, fertility, uh, egg quality are found in organ meats, you know, liver and organ meats. It's really interesting. So liver is like nature's multivitamin. It's um, the highest natural source of vitamin A. And I found this really interesting study. I know that we can't just look at animal studies as the same as, um, you know, and, and make all kinds of uh, generalizations. But uh, there was a few studies that I looked at where if you take a male rat and you provide it with a diet that is deficient in vitamin A, the male rats become sterile, their testosterone levels uh, decrease dramatically, and they stop making sperm. Wow. And then when they put it back in the diet, they start making sperm again. That's wild. And just, just so, one <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting when you look at the research, because if you look at these studies, I mean, they're looking at single nutrients, they're looking at one nutrient and, and how, um, what a big difference it can make in, in sperm production. So if you think about, uh, you know, incorporating these nutrients through a combination of your diet and um, supplementation, you're getting at all of these nutrients. It's not just like an isolated nutrient in a study. Mm, right. Man, so, you know, what's, what's, when I'm, when I'm talking about this with patients, the, the main takeaway is what are the nutrients that are going to make that um, kind of that soup that's around these premature eggs just really thrive. So we think of the good fats, we're thinking of, you know, important proteins, and then the antioxidants, like a lot of the nutrients you talked about, like vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, these are all vitamins that also work as antioxidants. So that's protecting you from toxins and free radicals. Um, you know, there's nutrients like cysteine, and, um, and then also, I mean, huge important nutrient, vitamin D, which is technically a hormone. So Getting this, and then same thing for the sperm. The sperm are incredibly sensitive to toxins and need these, these high antioxidant foods and, and nutrients. I wish we could just do it only from food, but our food is just not as nutritious as it once was. So, so supplementing, I, in my opinion, is really vital to maximize the, you know, the quality of both the egg and the sperm. You know, and, and my, my preferred way is actually doing the testing, getting the blood test to see what are you actually deficient in because everybody is so different. You know, we're also unique on what we actually need. Um, but at least having just a, a, a good quality, you know, prenatal and, and omega-3 and, um, you know, B vitamin, vitamin D, those are kind of like the basics that I do for everybody. So um, good stuff. And this is not something that, you know, typically you learn at your conventional doctor or even at fertility centers. I mean, how much of this are they talking about it at reproductive centers in, in your experience? Well, my experience has been that, when I'm working with a woman and I ask about the sperm parameters, you know, if their practitioners have tested them, I, I hear it every time. And basically, yeah, my partner was tested and he's fine. I hear that all the time. Right. And then okay. when we look at the actual 
data, uh, I see that it's not fine. There's a couple of trends that I've seen. Uh, one is, I mean, we, we just talked about the World Health Organization kind of bottom level of what, they're, what they consider normal and how it's very different from optimal. So that's one issue. Right. But then another issue that I've seen is that when a man has a high count, it, they don't even look at the morphology number. Right. That's so, so important. <laughs> um, so like, for instance, like I've had clients who's part, because I mean, if you think about it now, if the, if the average man has at least 60%, you know, lower sperm than previously, when you're doing a sperm analysis and it comes back where the man does have 80 million sperm per milliliter or 150 million sperm per milliliter, um, million sperm per milliliter you know the 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 people in the lab the practitioner is like wow this is amazing because they don't really see that that often anymore and so i've seen it where you have a man who has like a high count but literally morphology of like one percent or two percent so what i do uh you know when i'm working with someone is i pull up a picture when we think of sperm we think of you know a round head and a tail but when a man has poor morphology, if, if let's give an example of 2%, so let's say he's got 2% morphology, which is even below the World Health Organization, right? Um, it means that out of every 100 sperm, two have a round head and a tail. And the other 98 have a combination of no head, mushed head, two heads, one tail. <laughs> yeah. So like you literally have to break this down for people so that they can understand that no, actually if the and and also motility is extremely important if if the sperm does not have uh normal motility they're not capable so mm -hmm. you need both normal morphology and motility in order for the sperm itself to be capable of fertilizing the egg right, right. and and so when you kind of break that down for people then all of a sudden it's like oh and i just want to share um because i the point that you made is so important that, you know, I always think it's important to, and I'm sure you do as well, to combine supplementation with diet, because you're right to say that, where are we getting all these nutrients? And when you're starting from a, a, a place of deficiency, how else are you going to get to the optimal level? You right, know, right, exactly. something, yeah, something really important to think about. So I just, I, I like to give hope because I found a couple of really interesting studies. So I just want to share, um, there was one study that I, uh, that I talk about in the book where they gave infertile men so these were men who they identified that their partners were like so their partners were assessed as normal and these were men who you know they did the sperm test they were identified as being a, below normal and also they hadn't got their partners pregnant in at least a year or two of having unprotected sex and so you know out of these 287 you know infertile men they gave them coenzyme q10 twice a day for a year and at, at the year mark um 48%, so about half of the participants, their sperm parameters went into the normal range. <laughs> there was like a 50% increase in sperm concentration, 50% increase in sperm count, 74% um, increase in motility, 46% increase in morphology, and then 31% of the participant couples uh, became pregnant. And I think it's really helpful to point that out because it means that there's something you can do. That's one nutrient we haven't even talked about folate or zinc or vitamin C or omega-3, right? right? Or vitamin D. Like we haven't even talked about any of those things. This is one nutrient. And so I think it's helpful as well for women to recognize that fertility challenges are really complex. Um, I have never really worked with a woman who didn't think it was her, who didn't think that the reason that she wasn't getting pregnant was because she was broken. Um, as yeah. women, I mean, even 
even the way that uh, male infertility is not really addressed and kind of downplayed, uh, it really leaves women with the impression that if, if I'm not getting pregnant, it's because of me. It's because there's something wrong with my cycle. And this isn't about laying blame, but this is an, uh, an example of a case where 30% of those participants conceived when all they did was it, it work on improving his sperm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mic drop. <laughs> right? It takes two. It takes two. <laughs> oh, man. I, well, I could talk about this all day with you, but, you know, of course, I know we both have a lot we're up to. And so the book is The Fifth Vital Sign, and it's all about just how your menstrual cycle, it's so much more than just having babies. That's what you put on the back of the book. And you learn, you know, you learn so much about how your body works, how, you know, to optimize various things like your sleep, your exercise, your nutrition, how to help if you're having painful periods, a lot of PMS and, you know, just taking charge. Like, you know, it's like, I love that. So the other book guys is taking charge of your fertility. That's all about the fertility awareness method. So if you feel like you are in the dark about how your periods work and what they mean, and you know, you feel like you're not really getting a lot of information from your doctor, this is the book to get the fifth vital sign, you know, understand it a little better for yourself. I can, I can really say, I wish I knew this when I was in, you know, gosh, high school, like this should be in conjunction with learning about sex education, right? You should learn about your cycles and um, that way you're not feeling like a victim to your, you know, to a doctor's appointment. I know I did back in the day. I was a Kaiser patient and I would go in and, you know, complain about different things. And really it was just birth control and that's it. There's nothing else more to it. So um, really beautiful work that you've done. And thank you for putting all of this into this amazing book. Any parting words for our listeners before we let you go on with your day? Well, of course, thank you for having me. And um, one of the things that I'll say, I mean, in today's, uh, you know, our conversation today, we really focused on the implications for pregnancy and trying to conceive and how important the menstrual cycle is. And I think it's really important to note that when you're not trying to get pregnant, your menstrual cycle is an important sign of health. Yeah. And so it's really important to, to know as young ladies, because we're not really taught this, that our menstrual cycle is a sign of health. And it's not only when you want to have a baby that you deserve to be healthy. And so for women who are not trying to get pregnant or are not planning to get pregnant, it's still just as important to have a healthy menstrual cycle um, because it's a sign of health. Yes, exactly. And it's a cyclical thing. Your body is designed to have those waves, the ebbs and the flows. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's like the changing of seasons for the climate. You know, it's the changing of the seasons of your, your, your hormones throughout your own cycle. And it, it has a brilliant design to it and it's designed to do it on its own. We just get in the way of all that. <laughs> so the, a lot of yeah. this is really understanding, you know, how do we kind of screw stuff up? How do we get out of the way for our body to do what it's supposed to do? And, and no judgment with that, right? Like having total kindness and love towards ourselves, but it's just about educating and um, just being more aware. So amazing work. Thank you for coming on the show and spending some time with us. And um, we'll talk real soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. 
Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love, and I'll talk to you soon. 